Submit a question for Eric Nam. I'll be like, this is for your future bay, from your future bay. <laughs> It'll be under my like Stan Twitter account name. So it'll be like something really thirsty. Wait, what's your Stan Twitter account? I don't. I, don't. <laughs> uh, I think you do. <laughs> I'll know if you just start sweating. Uh, that's how I'll find out the truth. <laughs> I've been sweating for the last 20 minutes, even before we started. <laughs> You like my little Afro puffs? You like belong in Clueless. Yes! Oh my god, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not gonna happen, but that was exciting. Clueless 2. Yes. (laughs) The bitches are old. Loves you right. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> <Are> you guys. <laughs> Welcome to a brand new episode of Black Fraser. It's Bloody Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> um, and I'm excited for this episode. It's a super size one. So we're back to back super sizes. I'm not wasting time today, you guys. Yes, I will. Okay. So <laughs> as always, you're joined by me, Phoebe Lynn Robinson, and my co-producer, my editor, the love of my bloody life. British bloody bake off. <laughs> Got there before. Yeah. You did. I was gonna say something about your bangers and mash. I know. We don't have time today. Oh. Should we just get to the episode now then? <laughs> <Cut>. <laughs> Guys, okay, we have to discuss a few things. First of all, Bake Off's hair is getting longer by the second. Literally, as I'm sat here. It's getting longer. You are giving me peak Michael Douglas in a sexual thriller in the 90s with like the little flip at the end. Does my hair go crazy at the end? It does. It's like it curls around like two or three times. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, are you Gordon Gecko up in here? I will say. That's Wall Street reference. During this quarantine. Yes, mate. It is becoming dangerously close to a mullet. No, but it's getting long on the side. So sometimes mm. it's a Michael Douglas situation. Other times it is... Joey Erotica. What? The guy from um, Tiger King. I I haven't watched it. Oh. But I was going to say, sometimes you give me like 90s grunge, mm. which is also nice. It's just like white male sadness. Well, I used I'm to like, be in a metal band. So, 
It's just like going back. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact number four. Used to be in a metal band. Okay, it, now it's a scream metal band. Yeah, screamo band. Boom. So it's like, is the singer just like, wah, rah, wah. Oh, you know our songs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even understand who enjoys that. Misunderstood teens. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, for real, for real, you guys, we've been together for tres años. That's three years. Ooh. Okay, so I went to Spanish in high school. Um, so we've been dating for three years. Yes. And this hoe, for the longest time, was like, no, I'm, I can't play you in my music. No, I can't. I'm too embarrassed. That's because I was in a metal band. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. No, I can't. I can't. It's mm. Tuesday. I can't. It's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and then you play me like two songs, and honestly, one of them sounded like a you know a B side for Incubus, and I was mm. like, oh, this song is cute, right? And then the other one, I think I like the second one too, but the first one I was like, yeah, Ooh. I mean, we weren't. I mean, we tried, yeah, but we weren't anything to write home about. Who were some of your influences music wise? Let me see if I know any of these mm. bonds. Thrice, maybe? Thrice, no. Um, taking Back Sunday. Thrice sounds like that's what Gwyneth Paltrow says. She doesn't say three, she only says thrice. And mm. you're like, Gwen. Okay. Mm. So what's the next band? Taking Back Sunday. Taking Back Sunday? Yeah. You're taking back Sunday for your. Yes. From the hands of the fucking ratchet ass nuns who got you up in Sunday school. Yeah. Okay. Have not heard of that. Um, <laughs> I don't think what other influence. As I li- as I lay dying. It's a bit on the nose. It is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wait, isn't that bi- isn't that the title of like some poem? Maybe. Isn't that like is that like er- Ernie Hemingway? <laughs> Ernie. <laughs> Yeah, Ernie. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, As I Lay Dying is an American metalcore band. Oh my god, get over yeah. yourself. Oh, it's Faulkner. I knew it was Falks or Ernie Hems. Okay. One of those bros. I suppose it's a pretty good segue while we're on the topic of music. I w- <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're like, bitch. I'm over this. Listen, guys, we have one week to the election and Bake Off is done. He is sick (laughs) of my bullshit, which is fine because we do have a delightful episode today. It Mm -hmm. is two of my favorite people. Um, And this is the big K-pop episode. I want to do more of these, but I thought this would be like my first entrance Mm, into K-pop discussions on a podcast for Black Frage. Um, and so we have two people, okay, because mm-hmm. there's so much to get into. Yes. Um, first up is my friend, my coworker, my life coach, my therapist, my, you know, the Bonnie to my Clyde. Hmm. If you follow me on Instagram pre-COVID, you know that I am talking about my true blue boo, 
my win, um, who we bought. She she's been working for me for two years, and we really bonded over being fangirls. Mm-hmm. I for you too, and her for BTS and Hanson. And you know, she really introduced me to the world of, of yeah, K pop. Yeah, and so like I learned about Blackpink and what is it in one two seven six nine four. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other one as well? Extreme X, X Machina. Just kidding. That's a movie. No, you lost it. I did. Oh, well, why don't you go take back Sunday some more? <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, what was the name of your band? Q to Eclipse, but we spelt it C U E instead of like a line. Q to I know. We like I said, we tried. <laughs> Were you wearing vans? Oh weird? God, yeah. Check, <laughs> checkered vans and skin tight jeans. <laughs> oh my gosh, we've come so long, uh, such a long way. Okay, but back to my. Um, so yeah, she really got both Bake Off and I into the world of K-pop, and you know, I've even like watched some concerts online and. I really just enjoyed her passion about it. Mm-hmm. And so when talking about K-pop, it's taking over the world. It Big is time. it is sort of to me having the similar trajectory that hip hop had when it was came, coming out and blowing up and everyone's mm-hmm. just like loving it and falling in love with even though there was controversy around it, it was just like it just took over. Yeah. Um and so I thought it'd be good to have this podcast and sort of like talk about the world of K-pop. Yeah. Talk about some of like the things that we do know and we don't know. And so Mai is like such a K-pop connoisseur. She knows so much. She's very learned. So I really wanted her to give me sort of her personal perspective on it uh, because I think that it's it's more than just music. It really is mm. life-changing for a lot of people. And to see the influence that it's having socially yeah, um, as well as politically, I, th- I think is very powerful. So first up is my conversation with the lovely Mai. And then second is my conversation with K-pop singer. Superstar. Yes, Eric Nam, you guys. Yes. He is so talented. He's so amazing. If you follow my other podcast that I used to have at um, WNYC called So Many White Guys, that is where I first talked to him. Um, and it was really good to get his perspective on how the industry is changing, mm-hmm. Um, how he views it. And yeah. I think overall, it's a great episode. I think people are going to be really excited if they haven't listened to a single note, okay, of K-pop, they're going to be like... Which is hard to believe these days. Right. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. But if you haven't checked out K-pop, I think after this episode, you're going to be like, okay, let me look into these bands and see mm-hmm. what's going on and find my crew, figure out my bias. Figure out your boo. Figure out your boo and your bias. <laughs> Um, and if you are into K-pop, I think this is going to be a fun couple of conversations that maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, present different information than what you have been, you know, hearing or reading like the Hollywood Reporter or Rolling Stone or whatever. Okay. Oh, my gosh, you guys, we have merch. I know. I was just about to remind you. Do you guys remember that we have merch? Because I forgot. <laughs> But guess what? I just remembered because I was like, oh, yeah, we got some bills to pay. We have gifts like 
physical gifts to mail out for the holidays via the USPS. Well, that's not necessarily what the merch money is going on. <laughs> we got to pay for this just postage. To <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> You're like, this is to fund our podcast. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> to keep all three of these lights switched on. <laughs> I love how I have all the lights you have. Literally. Not. Well, I, I am the light source. That's yeah. the issue. <laughs> you are pretty pale. <laughs> but you guys, we have merch. Go to PhoebeRobinson.com. Get yourself a t-shirt or a sweater or a jumper. Oh, yes. If you're British. Is, why is it called a jumper? I don't know. That's cute. All right. So go over there. We have sizes small to triple XL. PhoebeRobinson.com slash. Wait. Slash. PhoebeRobinson.com slash merch. So let's just kick this bad boy off with my interview with my. Hi, <laughs> Thank you so much for doing Black Frasier. We have so much to get into, but I feel like this particular episode has been long in the making, okay? I just, we're talking about K-pop. You're talking about it. It's going to be documented mm-hmm. forever. Like, when we all get an Elon Musk's, like, I don't know, astronaut, what is it called? Spaceship? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the relics left behind will be this conversation with you about K-pop. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tone it down. Um, but in all seriousness, I am really excited to have um, this K-pop episode because, as you well know, I really think that, especially in America, people are really much more receptive to K-pop than maybe even like two or three years ago. And it's really this amazing sort of cultural and global phenomenon that I think is really bringing lots of people together of all ages. And I think a lot of people are sort of like, you know, myself included, sort of like easing their way into K-pop. And so I thought it'd be really good to just sort of have an episode where we talk about the industry, we talk about why it means so much to people, um, and also especially like the political activeness within the k-pop community and everything that's going on because the world is so stressful right now um and you know you are the person where i feel like you are the conduit for so many people like you're going to break it down for so many folks who Mm -hmm. are like not familiar with it and they're going to like learn so much from queen mai I should just preface by saying I'm not like a K-pop historian or like a K-pop expert or anything. And I guess anything I speak about is really just coming from like my own experience Mm -hmm. and like what I've seen and observed. And also a little part of it, like being what I felt uh, as being like an Asian American in the music industry for so long. Mm -hmm. But, you know, nothing, hopefully everybody can learn a little bit, but like, Please do your own research too. Amen, sister. So for people who are um, new to sort of following me, um, my is, you know, my like life coach, like my manager, my <laughs> executive assistant, 
my sort of like just hype woman, just all things amazing. And we started working together two years ago. Um, and, you know, if you follow my on Instagram or you follow me on Instagram, you knew that I was very obsessed with my um, and I was very thirsty. And <laughs> <laughs> you were always just sort of like, yeah, I like you fine. And that just made me like want to make you like me more. <laughs> Um, but the reason I bring that up is because I think us meeting and starting to work together was sort of, you know, that was linked to you, like sort of easing out of the music industry, which you have worked in for 13 years and sort of your emotions and like how much you, you grown during that time. Um, and sort of like K-pop really played a key part in your life, um, leading up to you leaving the music industry. So I guess a good place to start would be what, what was, when was the first time you listened to a K-pop song and how did it sort of like change your DNA? Cause I feel like you are, you are so into K-pop and BTS in particular and the way that I am about you too, where it just is this thing that just has moved your soul for so long and like, I remember the first time I listened to YouTube and how it was just like, <clears throat> my life has changed, you know? And so I'm curious in terms of K-pop, wh- whether it's BTS or a different group, like what sort of was that moment that made you realize this was a special thing that you really just going to get into the fandom of it all? The funny thing is when I, the first time I ever chatted with you and I had heard about you before, you know, from getting to know you through Bake Off and stuff. But I think one of the things that, I felt like I got along, knew, knew that I would get along with you very well was how we connected on just like being fangirls, mm-hmm. you with you two and me. Honestly, when I first met you, I feel like I was still like a baby army at that time mm-hmm. in kind of getting to love um, BTS as much as I do now. And so that whole process has played like a big part of our relationship. I feel like we kind of understand each other in that way when I'm like, oh, you know, I have to fly this weekend because I'm going to see BTS in like Chicago, Mm -hmm. but I'll see you next, you know, weekend for Mo in Nashville or whatever it was. Um, Like, And Mo Mo is Michelle Obama, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you catch you drop that. (laughs) For those of you who don't know. But I felt like we had that understanding from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, you know, I've always been, I've loved all kinds of um, pop music growing up. Um, and really it was in college, my friends kind of the inkling, I guess, of getting into K-pop was just more from uh, the business perspective of it because I was a media major and I went to business school and I was reading this book for a project that was called Pop Goes Korea by mm-hmm. this like music journalist named Mark Russell. And I was just really fascinated by kind of the how K-pop was the perfect blend of like art and globalization and how mm-hmm. even now like Korea uses art, whether it be like film uh, and TV and K-dramas and music as kind of like a soft power to kind of build a global influence. Um, but for me, I was... I slowly started getting into second generation K-pop groups just by trying to figure out what they sounded like from reading these articles um, Mm -hmm. and reading this book and kind of got hooked on 
the pop songs of it. So it's really catchy and fun. Yeah. Um, but more with BTS, it was a little bit different because originally that's also kind of what caught my attention was just kind of their the impact that they were slowly having on the music industry. But as you do like the deeper dive, you know how it always starts out with, oh, I just want to learn, figure out what their names are. And then it goes more into, you know, trying to get lyric translations for their songs. And it really, once I got into that, I feel like that's when I became like a fan for life. And it really helped me out of a dark place. Like you had mentioned earlier, I was in a, been touring for so long, like music had lost its magic for me. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt numb to anything new, anything that was going on in the world. And like nothing really excited me. But for yeah. the first time in many years, and maybe even a decade, I felt like there was something fun again in music. And I found that with BTS. And honestly, I feel like that really kind of saved me emotionally mm -hmm. um, from where I was, which I didn't realize I was depressed when I had, I was coming out of this depression um, when I met you. And really yeah. it was because I found something to be excited about again. And that was, you know, K-pop. BTS and finding like a community again yeah and so you feel like some of the depression was just linked to the touring industry because it is such a grind like you're working you know 16 18 maybe even 20 hour days and it's really hard to sort of like take on that pressure and you're in a different city and you're not as connected with your friends and family as you were if you had like a nine-to-five job where you sort of like stayed in the same place do you think that sort of contributed to your feeling of kind of like, oh, uh, like, I just don't feel great about myself. I feel down. Like, I just am not excited about the world. Yeah. And I guess for me, having a depression as an adult felt different than what it looked like when I was a teenager, or like mm -hmm. younger. And so I didn't reckon I couldn't recognize it. And I never felt like lonely just because I was filling up like every hour all my days were just work related. And I feel like any everybody in their mid 20s, you're part of this grind mm -hmm. that you're just trying to get to like the next level. You're trying to work to like prove yourself and all that. And at some point I got to all the levels that I had set for myself, like the goals. And I just still felt kind of hollow and sad, mm -hmm. I guess, but without really recognizing that I just realized like I'd watch these clips of BTS on YouTube and I'd laugh out loud so hard. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being like, wow, I haven't laughed like that in like two or three weeks. Like, yeah. And I guess for me also going into diving into like their lyrics and their music videos and kind of the community, I finally had a place where I felt like I connect to people and could talk to them. Uh, not only about BTS, but kind of just all the other aspects that were going that I was going through. Yeah, we're going to talk about the community aspect in a second, which I think is so incredible. But first, you touched on something earlier about Asian representation in music. And I, I'm sure like in the touring world, it is probably pretty low. Um, and I'm also, yeah, no, am I, mean, I wrong? No, you're definitely not wrong. I used yeah. to get like confused with another Vietnamese girl on tour who colored her hair because we'd like... <laughs> <laughs> be touring in different cities like a week apart and they'd be like weren't you just here i'm like i haven't been here in a year and then i text her and she'd be like oh yeah i was just there last week and i'm like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> but i also feel like the reason why i'm bringing up asian representation is, is i do think that like k-pop 
to me, like, even though, like, it's a genre, like, I think it's it's sort of like how, like, hip-hop was, like, sort of, like, this genre, and now it just, like, is fully mainstream, and, like, everyone is listening to it, and I feel like K-pop is having that same trajectory where it's just going to be, like, this mainstream sort of music, which is huge in a way because, you know, certainly growing up, I listened to a lot of pop music, and there were never any... Asian pop stars in America that like made it big or were huge or were famous or, you know, or even like the idea of like an Asian male group, like being lusted after is something that like is not, that was not part of, you know, my life growing up because you like Asian representation was just not there. And so I'm curious as to what is sort of your experience with like being able to find this group and feeling like you're seeing yourself reflected in their music? I mean, K-pop has been in the U.S. for at least a decade now. I think mm-hmm. there was a girl group, a Korean girl group that tried to tour, that opened for the Jonas Brothers like oh, 10 cool. years ago. Um, but like, yeah, it never really quite made it. Even the size, like big hit Gangnam Style, like mm-hmm. it wasn't really taken very seriously, even though what he was speaking about um, in the song itself was like a parody about you know wealth and like a specific neighborhood in mm-hmm. Seoul um, but yeah even at its height even Psy song I think only peaked at number two and now you have um, k-pop groups you know breaking all these like charts mm-hmm. you know I think I'll say this because it's most recent. It most recently happened, but you know, BTS just landed their first number one song on the Hot 100, and that hasn't been done since I think like the 60s um, as like an all Asian um, group, yeah. um, not like Asian American. But I think it's really amazing to see because just like seeing Crazy Rich Asians mm-hmm. or like Parasite, it's amazing to see some to see a group of people like being able to achieve their dreams in like a Western world and mm-hmm. a Western industry that I feel has felt like they've been gatekeepers for a really long time. And I think it really shows how global bu- music has become. Yeah. Okay. So let's just break down K-pop for people listening to this who are still sort of like, okay, what is the history, like, what's the origin of this? And, like, how has this become this big sort of, you know, mainstream genre now? Well, Korean popular music and K-pop, the genre, I feel are very different things. Mm-hmm. But just to give a little bit of history, um, Korean popular music itself has been really uh, political from its inception. Um, you, music used to be censored in Korea. so. When that was lifted, when, you know, the country moved to democracy, um, I think it was like the late 80s, early 90s, there was a group, a hip hop group called Sotaji and the Boys, mm-hmm. who kind of started to break. They formed like K-pop, the early inception of K-pop, because they had like choreographed dance moves. They had like a stylist, you know, they they were also kind of trying to say things in their music as a reflection mm-hmm. of what um, they felt in society at that time and um yeah it was kind of like the elvis they were like the elvis of their time and they had long hair 
there was um, some music videos they wore like skirts in and that was really unheard of to do in Korea but yeah so the first k-pop group was a hip-hop group actually um and from then now it's more like stylized like the genre itself um k-pop genre is more like stylized you know the songs are very poppy catchy but there's a lot of elements from different types of music there's edm there's Mm r&b there's hip-hop um as a genre it's just kind of like a melting pot of a lot of sounds yeah and so, you know, one of the things that I think is so great about this industry is that, you know, I just remember like when I was a, a kid and growing up and there was like the whole thing of like the Latin explosion, right? You had like, mm-hmm. here was like Ricky Martin and you're like, oh my gosh, Shakira and J-Lo. And then that, even though I was like a teenager when it was happening, it felt like it was like a trend and it wasn't going to stay. Whereas K-pop now does not feel like a trend, right? It feels like this is something that is going to stay because I think people, I don't want to say like people fetishize like the Latin explosion, but there was an element of like, oh, this is a cool, fun thing I can try on, but I'm not necessarily taking or viewing this genre or this style of music as legitimate, you know what I mean? Whereas I feel like now, especially with K-pop, people really seeing that like, this is not just a, a way for like, Western culture say like, oh, this is a fad. And then I'm like, I'm going to move on to the next thing. But that's actually has some legs and it's going to stay here. Do you feel that way too? And what do you think? What do you think are some of the reasons why it's being so wholeheartedly embraced here in America in a way that it wasn't 10 years ago? I mean, I still feel like it's still being embraced in America. Like Mm -hmm. there's so many things that I could point out that are still happening right now that are really like xenophobic Mm -hmm. um, and like broadcasted on like live podcast and like on the radio still. Mm -hmm. But I think too, even for the Latin movement, like there's so much that has happened then to now, like the Mm -hmm. Latin movement is still strong, but it's still also still new, even though we've been exposed to it for so long. And I think it takes time. Um, especially for Western audiences, both in the U.S. and in Europe, to kind Mm -hmm. of be able to be like, well, yeah, I don't understand what they're saying, but maybe this is a good song. Mm -hmm. It's just so hard for people to kind of open their... People are being racist. You can say it. Some (laughs) people are being racist and don't want to embrace music. That is coming from people who don't look like them. I mean, that's totally fair to say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even for BTS, like the first time they came to the U.S. was 2015. Mm -hmm. And it's been like a gradual and a lot of strategy behind their success. Whereas I feel like it's a little easier for a Western artist to just explode and and, like do crazy numbers out of nowhere. Um, Especially with you know, YouTube and like social media as it is right now. Uh, But I think that we've made steps. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's been like a gradual increase with just BTS's discography from even from 2017, every year, every time they release something, it gets higher and higher up, but there's a lot of work they've had to do. And it's kind of just symbolic of what you have to do as like a person of color to get recognized anywhere now Mm -hmm. um especially in america 
Like you have to work twice as hard as everybody else to get singular recognition. You know, they out the the week that they sold um, or they got number one with Dynamite, they outsold everybody. Uh, I think the whole list combined. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they wow. sold, I think, 300,000 units of that single, whereas the week prior to that, um, number one song had sold 125,000. But it's like you have to do everything times 10 mm-hmm. in order to make sure like people don't minimize your or diminish like your accomplishments. So and that's been like the whole thing. Like people are like, oh, you know, YouTube numbers are so arbitrary. Like who cares? But we have to hit 100 million views in one day in order for people to be like, okay, you know, this X X person could do that. And then kind of prove to them that, you know, we are surpassing even that person's numbers. So it's it's mostly like proving to ourselves, but you have to kind of speak louder than everybody else in order to get people to pay attention. And I think even with BTS in 2017, at like the American Music Awards, I think there's, if you watch clips of their performance, most of the room did not know who BTS was at the time. But yeah. you see everybody freaking out because there's like all these fan chants going on, like the whole um, arena just erupted up with like people doing their fan chants and people um, just so excited about this group. Mm-hmm. And you can see like all these people that like all these industry people just looking around and like just in awe. But it kind of got people talking like, who is this group? And I think we're always trying to do that. Yeah. And so when you look at, let's just get specifics. And you brought up that performance with BTS, which I thought it was so amazing. I remember watching that at, in Portland with Bake Off, I think, when we were still long distance dating. But, um, you know, whenever a group gets that big or, you know, you look at like a them or a Cardi B or like an Adele, like something about them just really speaks to and connects with the masses and just a way that maybe you can't even necessarily verbalize. They just have that sort of like je ne sais quoi, ooh wee oui, wee, mm-hmm. oui, ooh la la. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, um, maybe you could sort of start maybe specifically with you, like what about BTS sort of resonates and connects with you so much? And then also sort of looking at like how they have grown in popularity with like each, you know, seeming passing month. Like what do you think about them as really connecting with people at such a large scale like this? For me, and I think a lot of people will say too, it usually starts with just trying to figure out who they are as individual people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's helped is that there's just like a large community of like fan translators who translate content, not only on YouTube, but like on Twitter. When they tweet, it's mostly in Korean, but you have translators that will tweet right under them and like tell you what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I think, even from the very beginning of their career, they had like these vlogs, like before they were debuting of just like checking in, saying hi. And they have thousands of hours worth of content that kind of make you feel like you're getting to know them mm-hmm. and also get to know them in like a more authentic way. Um, and I think as the years progress, I was always trying to find like, you know, where's the, where am I like being fooled here? And, but the more you see and the more you read and the more you hear from other people, you, I don't know, it's just part of their music. Like what they talk about in their songs is so much of who they are. 
mm-hmm. that you're kind of learning about them as well. And I think that's part of like Western music that really hooked me before as well. Like I felt like I really felt that message and it resonated with me. And especially when I was going through depression, they had this whole campaign about like loving yourself mm. and finding out who you really are. And when you hear that message over and over, eventually you really start to understand it. And I mm-hmm. think that for me, once I really felt and connected in that way, there was like no going back. And I feel I feel like that's how a lot of others feel too. Nice. And so what do you think you've learned about yourself or what do you love more about yourself after really absorbing BTS's message of loving yourself and really connecting? Well, I guess too, we touched on this a little bit earlier with like Asian Asian representation, but growing up, who did I have to really look up for in the entertainment industry? You know, I had um, Trini, the Yellow Ranger. And just these like sidekick parts Mm -hmm. here and there. But to see people at like the forefront of this industry, it kind of made me really proud to be Asian. And as a kid growing up in like a small town, it's not really small, but it's like a smallish town in Texas. um, And like growing up in like a white community, I always felt like I had to shy away or be ashamed, or was kind of like ashamed about being Asian. Um, and now to see all these other cultures embrace BTS because they're Asian, it really helped me to be proud of who I was. Mm. Um, and when you go to a show, it's not just, you know, seeing other Asian faces. You see Latina face, Latino faces. You see Black faces. You see just like honestly like a rainbow of people at these mm-hmm. shows and it makes you feel just connected especially going to a stadium yeah. um and you just see it's the diversity in the audience not just in um nationalities but like in age as well and there's like families and there's men and there's whole like generations like that go to shows together like i've i've been seated next to a whole family before that's um, cute so it's really I don't know. I feel like BTS has been broad enough where they've been able to connect people of all ages, all races. Um, and there, I have never really felt there's been like a language barrier. I feel like music has really tr- truly transcended like everything. Yeah. And so this is a tough question, but for BTS, there's seven members. Your bias is RM. Yes. I used to say no, and my friends would look at me like, girl, you do have a bias. (laughs) And I can turn my screen slightly to the right and show you my 80 Koya plushies. But you know. (laughs) Do you want to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Let's see it. (laughs) I'll turn it. You can edit that out. Wait, that's not the right. <laughs> Tell me when I reach the right window. Yes, and look at that view. Oh my gosh, Nancy Myers wishes. Okay, but yeah, that's a lot of plushies. That's yeah, just half of them. <laughs> I'm sure. 
Um, yeah, move your mic back. Yeah, I can't wait to show you them in person, all of them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so RM is RM is main bay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but honestly, I really love BTS, all seven of them. Yeah. I'm starting, my glasses are starting to fog up by this question, so I just need to. <laughs> so are you, so who would you be the biggest thought for? Would it be for RM? Would it be for someone no, for else? An, literally anyone. If one of them <laughs> were to appear down the street, I would get, definitely get run over by car to make, to like chase after them, but in a calm way, not in like a psycho way, but in like, <laughs> <laughs> that's very cute i but, love that um i think just in general they're all really great ambassadors for art mm-hmm. uh, i think i've learned so much from them um just by what they've exposed me to like rm's always tweeting about like the art galleries and stuff that he goes to and the artists like korean artists that he's into and they're really opening kind of a new world for the fans that listen to their music also just like books and and like paintings and other um i don't know other art all the arts yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and so one of the other things i want to talk to you about is you know i think not only the community itself but also the group like in terms of being politically active and being outspoken like i feel and so a lot of times, especially in the world of pop music, right, um, you sort of want to establish yourself as like this grand sort of talent before you will be politically outspoken. If you look at like the Beyonce's or the Taylor Swift's, you know, before you don't want to say anything political, you just want to be like relatable to everyone. But I feel like as you know bts has been making sort of their ascension they've been outspoken which i think is really sort of special and powerful and i think the k-pop community as well has been that way whereas you look at that that rally that donald trump um wanted to have and like all the tickets were bought by k-pop fans so like there weren't people there was like no one at the rally which i thought was amazing um so i really like to hear you speak about sort of the political activism that happens within the K-pop community and how maybe you see BTS as leaders of that or other groups doing this as well. Is this encouraged by like, you know, the K-pop industry at large should be this outspoken? Like if you could talk about that, that would be great. I mean, I'll only speak to BTS because I feel like Mm -hmm. I know them the best. I mean, not personally, but just like the fandom. (laughs) Um, BTS as a group, they have always been outspoken Mm -hmm. and I think people have just learned about it now, but them as a group, they started out as a hip hop group and all their music since the beginning of BTS has had, um, has had like a message behind it Mm -hmm. with, and it's been socially conscious music is what I like to, like how I like to explain, I guess, in that they've always, through their lyrics, um, even if it's a pop song, kind of analyzed what's happening around them uh, in the government, culturally. Um, So I don't think it's a surprise that 
you know, BTS fans are uh, politically active, especially since most of us are like pretty well versed in social media mm-hmm. and um, organizing on like Twitter, on Instagram and stuff. Like whenever there is a single release or an album release, you have to be quick. Uh, and so I think that's, we've had that practice to kind of be able to organize ourselves in a really mm-hmm. fast and efficient manner. And that's played a part, um, I guess, as part of this poli- political activism. But I also really feel like we're just all music fans, mm-hmm. but we are a diverse group of music fans. And of course, the things that will affect us in our real life um, will also kind of play out as in our fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think big up <laughs> you can tell somebody pauses. <laughs> Wait, why did you pause? Because you were gonna say his real name. I, I was gonna say his real name, but I also forgot like the second part of your question. <laughs> so the other part of the question is like sort of this outspokenness and this political activism. Is this encouraged by the K-pop community? Like are execs excited about this or do they want the acts to really sort of be less outspoken? I think traditionally a lot of other K-pop idols haven't had that much freedom in how they are able to communicate or express themselves. But why I like BTS so much is because from the beginning they were able to speak their minds and say what they wanted to say whether it be musically or like even interviews, I don't feel like they've been like as boxed in with what they want to say. Since even as a young group, they've Mm -hmm. always, they haven't shied away from any kind of controversy. Um, But I think too, like a significant percentage of like K-pop fans you know, our Black, our Latinx, our LGBTQ. And it's really just about amplifying the issues that mean most to us. Mm-hmm. And I think as a fandom, we're a reflection of BTS. They encourage us to speak out. And there have, you know, they haven't been immune to criticisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there's so many things I could point out. But I feel like what's made it different is like their company and them themselves too have kind of come out and even apologized mm. for being culturally insensitive, not just, you know, with Amer- like Western cultures, but, you know, there's high tension sometimes between like Korea and Japan. And sometimes some of the things that they've done in the past have been seen as like culturally insensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as the same with a lot of other K-pop um, idols and groups and stuff too, is that. I think what we've seen as groups get more popular and there's like more money, there's like definitely a fine line, I think, between like cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it's um, used, like certain parts of culture are used as like an aesthetic, that's mm-hmm. definitely cultural appropriation. But if there's like an understanding and authenticity that works, that's more cultural appreciation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, 
as a fandom, K-pop fans have always been involved culturally, mm-hmm. politically. Um, and so I wasn't surprised when I saw in the news. It's just now people are kind of hearing about it. But I think, especially in the BTS fandom, we've been raising monies for charities, you know, for years. Yeah. We've done over like 600. I say this we. As a group, yeah. I, as a fandom, yeah. like we do charity um, donations and and activities for like the members' birthdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the years, that's just have that's just added up. Um, you know, Jimin and J Hope are really um, these are BTS members. Mm-hmm. They really involved in children's charities and organizations. So we've kind kind of followed suit with helping out um, donating desks or like school supplies or like funding um, low income. Um, students and families to be able to like continue and further education and like every year every couple you know months I feel like there's like a new organization that armies helps to support and that's like a year-round um, thing and so I but I think like when BTS specifically spoke out about the Black Lives Movement it really propelled people like other groups other k-pop groups felt like okay it's okay for us to speak out to speak yeah. about this. Um, and even in the fandom, like we already donated close to $200,000 to the Black Lives Movements as individuals. But as mm-hmm. soon as we saw them donate, we were like, we got to like ramp this up. Let's match. I had honestly did not think that we'd be able to match a million dollars in yeah. 24 hours, but we did. And that's, that's I think, I think that's just part of being part of the BTS fandom is like they're always encouraging us to do more and to do good. Mm-hmm. And it sounds silly, but so we just, I, even I believe, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to say, but I'm a 34-year-old woman, mm-hmm. and um, I feel like I, now is a time where I feel like the most outspoken about things, because they've given me kind of the tools to kind of examine all the things inside of me know myself better so that I can speak out to the things that are important to me. Oh, that's so great. Why? <laughs> so I think in closing, what I would like to ask you, first of all, this has been a great primer on K-pop stuff. If there's anything you think that we've missed, um, let me know. But I think that you really painted like sort of like this is like it's just such a world of positivity. And I think that that's so important right now because the world is really sort of like sad and like I have my low days I'm sure everyone else listening has their low days as well and so I guess my final question is if you could talk to BTS right now what would you say to them so they can understand how much they mean to you and sort of the impact they've had on your evolution this is so hard. I sometimes, honestly, I think about what I would say if I could ever meet them or get a chance mm-hmm. to talk to them. And I feel like emotional just thinking about it. Aww. But I just want to say, you know, thank you for transforming my life, mm-hmm. for introducing me to a group of people that I feel will be lifelong friends, introducing me to community that is so diverse and so giving and 
and just so open and non-judgmental. Um, and thank you for giving me music that I can look back on and reflect on and see like my own personal struggles in, because that's a piece of art that I can look back on in 30 years from now and reflect on and still find meaning in. And I think mm. that's so important. So thank you for making the art that you do the way you want to do it. And also, first of all, that's very sweet. I almost teared up. <laughs> and also, RM, you need to take my girl out on a date. She's not going to shoot her shot, so I'm shooting it for her. <laughs> take my out. That's my call to action for anyone listening to this. We got to get my and RM on a romantic AF date. He needs to bring flowers. If he wants to bring a corsage, he can. I have a bonsai now because of him. So, you know, <laughs> we can admire that. I'll learn how to ride a bike so we can go around the Han River. <laughs> I'll be outdoorsy. <laughs> so, RM, if you're listening, you better snatch my up before somebody else does. Anybody Straight else in up. BTS, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes you gotta don't be exclusive yet they gotta prove yeah. to you that they are worthy of you <laughs> well my this has been such a great conversation and i just want to say like even in the two years that i've known you like i feel like you have grown so much and you just blossomed into like you're already an amazing person that i was obsessed with from day one but you just have, <laughs> I just like see your inner strength so much. And I see like how much heart you have and how much compassion you have. And like, just like, you're so encouraging of so many people and you're so smart. And like, I can totally see how you're so much more outspoken and like, just even in your social media, which I know some people could be like, yeah, is that like enough? But I feel like, you posting links and information and sharing your your thought your thoughts and your hearts with people is like encouraging other people to be like, oh yeah, you know, like maybe I don't have like a ton of money right now, but I can like you know donate twenty dollars to uh, Black Lives Matter, and that like still helps and counts. And so I think like you are paying it forward. Like BTS was sort of this thing that like awakened something in you, and I think you paying it forward to others is going to awaken in them like oh if my can do it so can i so it's really amazing to see oh it's so sweet of course <laughs> babe isn't my the cutest our passion for bts one i don't think i'll ever understand <laughs> and two 80 plushies I know. I'm 80. She did say 80, right? Yeah. Wow. There's, we could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's up there. It's up there. Yeah. But you know what? You've never loved anything as much as she loves BTS. I love you. But I've never been a fan girl. No. Right. You kept it cool. Yeah. I think you made me fly to you for our first date. <laughs> Facts. You were like, bitch, get on Alaska Airlines. Did you fly Alaska? I did. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it was like a last minute trip. A last minute tally ho. 
Yeah, as a last minute <laughs> tally ho around the couch uh-huh. to meet you in Portland. And guess what? It's worked out. Yeah. yeah so I ain't it. complaining. Okay, let's get to our next let's keep it rolling. interview with Mr. Eric Nah. Let's get it. Yes. Hi, Eric. Why, hello there. How are you? <laughs> I can't believe it's been six months. No, it's been six months. Yes. Since we had it has like been a, six months. a for real, for real conversation. Yeah, it's been uh. a while. Wow. Time flies when you're stuck in <laughs> stuck in places and you can't do anything, right? So you've been in Korea since we last talked. I I have been in Korea. I have wow. put out a new album. Mm-hmm. I have been podcasting. I've been making content because that's what we do. Your fans want it. They I, I, desire it. I hope it. they enjoy it. I hope so. <laughs> so thank you, fans. <laughs> How are but you though? I'm I'm okay. You know, I'm I'm trying to thrive during the core, you know, being inside yeah. an apartment can be cabin fevery, but I'm right. happy that no one has corona. So I'm I'm that I know. So I'm 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 feeling pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay. Before we start this episode, which is gonna be such a great episode, I feel like we just go back and forth <sighs> being on each other's po- podcast. I need yeah. to talk to you about yeah. your skin because it is looking oh, no, why? quite <laughs> what if i was like because it looks like shit no it looks amazing <laughs> oh i thank you thank you so much <laughs> your skin looks so good and i i need to know all the secrets because mine is kind of a, a up and down journey yeah, you look great, first of all. So, I mean, I don't know what more you need to do, but... Well, uh, can I tell you this? This is going to sound really trifling that you can do. You can say, like, your actual, like, content. Um, yeah. So, for the, the podcast, I use Zoom, and then we um, check the option where it makes your skin look flawless. <laughs> 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 you can FaceTune and Zoom, so that's what I do. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret. So do I. (laughs) Yo, Phoebe, everybody's trying to look good. I know we're in quarantine, but we still got to look presentable to people. And I don't trust just my bare face to look good. So I don't know if it's on right now, but if it isn't, it should be. I I don't know. I hope you all do a lot of post post work on this stuff. But um, I I feel you completely. So what do you do like are you a big like serums person moisturizer like what's your go to thing Oh man so I what do I do so there's like this long video that I did with I think Vogue or no Vanity Fair me breaking down my skincare routine but it's changed since so here's the latest update okay so I do like a I just put a lot of stuff on my face and I make sure I take it all off at the end it's very yeah. simple but I what one thing that I do do is um like a coconut oil cleanse and then a foam mm. cleanse, coconut water. So it gets all uh, the bad stuff out. And then I do like a bunch of serums. Korea has like really good skincare, like yes. a lot of K-beauty stuff. And it just it just pops up everywhere. And I don't even know exactly what I'm buying these days, but I was like, you know what? It's so cheap, but it looks 
maybe it's the packaging. It looks organic and healthy. So I'll try it. So recently I, I'm doing, <laughs> this makes me sound crazy, but I'm doing this like high, I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's like hyaluronic acid serum with mm. honeybee propolis serum and vitamin C serum. I'm just like trying it all. I was like, wow. I'm in quarantine. We're locked down kind of. You might as well. And that's why I look so glowingly glowing. You that's do. It. You look like you're thank ready you. to win an Oscar. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? I wish, but thank you. <laughs> no, but I'm so glad that you're able to do this and take time out of your busy sketch because you are working nonstop. And this is for Black Frasier, our first big K-pop episode. And yes. I'm so excited about it. And, you know, I've learned more and more about K-pop because of you and my beloved Mai. She is like, you know, K-pop queen. She like knows it all. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to have like a conversation about it because I feel like what, and I was saying this to Mai, like I feel like how hip hop was maybe like 10 years ago when it really just became global and celebrated in this way. Uh -huh. I feel like that is truly what's happening with k-pop and i think that that's so interesting fascinating amazing and also the unexpected sort of political activism that's within the k-pop community i think is really yeah. inspiring and so i just wanted to sort of like talk to you because i feel what you've done with your career has been so amazing and so incredible and I feel like there's still so much unknown about K-pop for like the average sort of person in America that I thought it'd be good right. to sort of like have this conversation with you and kind of like talk about your journey. Um, and so I guess my first question is, did you, seeing where K-pop is now and seeing how accepted you guys are becoming and, you know, especially in America in a way that just America was just not receptive to non like English language music like you had like this sort of Latin explosion when I was a teenager but that was kind of lasted for like two minutes and then it was kind of done <laughs> um and this feels like this has like m m like the legs are much stronger this time around for you guys yeah um so I'm curious did you ever think that k-pop would sort of take over in the way that it has or is this also sort of like a surprising moment for you as well I, I think it's surprising for everybody. I think mm -hmm. um, probably in, you know, growing up as a kid in the States, it was a big deal when I saw certain Korean faces make it mainstream. Like yeah. there was one year where there's this guy, Rain P. He was like one of Time's most influential. And like there would be small, subtle forays into the American market. Because they're like, oh, we made it in Asia. We made it in Korea or Japan or China. Let's try the U.S. And every time, time and time again, it would just fizzle out. Like mm -hmm. something wouldn't connect. Um, but I think having watched that arc, I always thought there was something very uh, positive to be said about the quality of production that kept coming out. Where mm -hmm. um, if they just keep trying, something has to take off at a certain point. I didn't think it would get to the point where BTS and Blackpink and these groups are at the top of Billboard. Um, yeah. Like singing in English, like it's, you know, their native tongue. But it's super exciting to see. I did not really expect it to be to this caliber, but I'm really excited to see that it's getting there 
Um, but I think it's also just the beginning, not just for K-pop, but just for representation in general. Because I think of K-pop as a key in unlocking representation for people who look like me, Asian, Asian Americans. And why do you feel like K-pop is the key for sort of unlocking that representation? Like what, what do you think is coming behind the music? Um, I, I think it's, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, a big part of the way anything works is money. Mm -hmm. It's business. It's financially driven. And I think for a lot of companies, they see K-pop as a genre where people love it. They're engaged. They're hyper interactive with the content that is put out. And, you know, K-pop still sells millions and millions of physical album copies. Like, I don't think anybody is selling physical copies these days. K-pop is selling physical copies. And for labels and for music executives, that's a big deal. Um, it is kind of a taste of the older days before streaming and mm -hmm. downloads killed off an entire revenue stream. And so when, when people look at K-pop, it's a form of entertainment that is e more easily monetizable. And that's, I think, unfortunately, one of the bigger thing that's driving it, mm -hmm. um, just like sheer numbers, you know, yeah. followers, impressions, because everything outside of physical sales, when you live digitally, you need ad impressions and you need uh, reach and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a double-edged sword where a lot of it is financially driven, but at the same time, it's also kind of to say, well, just to, goes to prove that people don't have an aversion to people who look like us. Like people yeah. will still listen to our music. They love us. They think we're hot, cute, sexy, whatever adjective you, you want to put in there. And we're just like everybody else. We're just like the mainstream. And I think for that reason, K-pop is proving out that point and it, it plays a very crucial role in furthering, you know, representation in that way. Yeah. So Does that make sense? Did I just talk did. in a circle? No, that okay, was great. so Ooh. good. Enough. Yes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you just put out an album recently, <clears throat> what, like two like a month ago? Not even? Uh end of end of July. Yeah. Yeah. Early you August, put out like an album during the core. Which yeah. and I, I watched the live stream and I was like, this oh, man thank you. does not stop working. And so <laughs> I'm curious as to how you feel like your career has sort of um, morphed during this sort of like appreciation for people who look like you who are singing pop music. Yeah, I think um, first there it's really exciting in the sense that more people will have a conversation more mm -hmm. journalists or more you know tv shows or whatever they're willing to have a conversation about k-pop or who i am and where i come from um so i think that's great i think what's the frustrating part is that it kind of seems to end there for now where it's mm -hmm. tell us just about k-pop and what it is and then bts and that's about it and and so yeah. my point whenever i go into conversations is like K-pop is strong not only because of BTS, but because of so many of the different artists and musicians and cultural things that also influence BTS and that surround BTS. BTS is one group out of hundreds of amazing, incredible artists. Um, 
and and again, I'm sure for people who are listening, like, or who are fans of BTS or myself, they know that like we've been friends since they debuted, since mm-hmm. from the very beginning. So all this comes from a place of respect and and admiration and love. But um, there's so much more in the market for diversity in terms of music style, in terms of just you know gender or uh, just everything. It runs the gamut of things, and so. I would love for people to be able to, yes, let's start at BTS, but how can we go further? How do we go deeper into really appreciating so much of the culture that is out there um, that is really making waves in its own right, including myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's that's kind of where we are at right now. But it is really exciting to see kind of doors not swing open, mm-hmm. but it's like a a, a swinging back and forth door, one of those like pivot doors that you see at a restaurant where the, yeah. <laughs> you know, the waiters go into the kitchen. <laughs> so what do you feel like you will, you want to be in the conversation about K-pop and pop music in general, outside of just BTS and Blackpink and sort of things that people are, or have been just sort of touching on currently? I think this is going to take time and I know it's going to take time, but it would be really cool to be able to get K-pop and K-pop artists to a place where we're just everyday household names, you know? And it's not a question of, I think even like when you look at digital content right now, a lot of it was like in Korea or when you're in the States or this kind of, in a way, it's a way to make it feel like they're more relatable or we're more relatable, but also foreign at the same time. but to be able to dive into a place where it's just like any other interview, we're treated like anybody else. We have the same ab- ability and capability and opportunities to be represented. Um, I think that would be a really cool place to get to. I don't know what that looks like exactly. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Um, but just, you know, you get that sense. You're like, okay, we're we're getting there. Sometimes mm-hmm. we, we feel the optimism and, and the good the good things come in. And, just to be able to get that get to that place at some point, I think it'd be really cool. Um, I don't know. It's, and I I'd say this too. Um, when it comes to like the music side, I think a lot of companies or brands or labels or whatever, because they see how astronomical uh, BTS or Blackpink are, that is like their standard for K-pop. Mm. Um, when it comes to what or how something performs. And in a way, if if we are below that, there's like a sense of, yeah, but you're K-pop, so like where are the huge, huge numbers? I was like, okay, again, there's so much more to this than just those two groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just like a general education process that is happening now, that will continue to happen. And I think, you know, again, with those two or three groups at the top, things trickle down, they funnel down, people get deeper into the whole of what K-pop is and um, we're adding fans to the, I guess, community every day, which is great. Yeah. I mean, it's what you touched on about this sort of like exceptionalism, like if you don't have these astronomical numbers then you're not maybe viewed or your work isn't as appreciated, um, which I think is something not only K-pop, but just being a person of color, that's what you have to sort of deal with. Like if you're not extraordinary, then you're worthless, you know what I mean, in a way? Like mediocrity isn't allowed or just being being good at something isn't allowed. You have to be like the best ever. Right, Um, right. And so I'm wondering like, 
Do you ever feel that sort of pressure? Like when you go into the studio and you're working on your albums, do you ever feel that like, oh my God, I got to live up to this, this, and this? Are you able to get in a space where you can really enjoy what you're creating, enjoy the fans that you have, and enjoy the music that is resonating with people all over the world? I think I'm more of the latter, where I... I play in a I think I play in a different realm in the sense that I am a solo artist. You know, you look at K-pop, there are not many solo artists. And the ones that do Why exist, that? they are because I I personally think it's like when you're in a group, it just mm-hmm. sells better. Um there's a lot of what I think really drives the K-pop content is a synergy and a chemistry between the group members off camera. So a lot of like the really great pieces of content that do well are like just the banter between members and like how people kind of interact with each other. And so a lot of the solo artists that exist now are individual members from a group that have kind of put out a solo project. Mm-hmm. Um there are not many just solo female or male artists these days. Um and for me, I, I started it when I was like 23, and that was considered too old in Korea to be a part of a group. Oh, um, wow. So they're like, you're too old. You have to have started like at least five years ago um, so that we Whoa. could not only train you, but we could kind of get as much as we can out of you when you're young. <laughs> it's pretty much <laughs> yeah. like the general industry way of you know yeah. saying that. Um, I don't know where I was going with this. This is what happens when I have deep no, conversations. I go in circles. So, no, this um, is so fascinating. I love hearing about it. What was wait, what was the question? What was the original? Oh yes. Yeah, more about like, do you feel that sort of pressure of having oh, to be exceptional right. or extraordinary? Right, right, right. So, okay. So I think a lot of, you know, what K-pop is known for are for these groups because they could mm-hmm. do these big choreographical moments, choreography moments and uh, really share parts. And the the great thing about being in a group is your members can cover up any flaws or things like you cannot do well Mm -hmm. so if i'm not the best dancer i'm gonna have a member next to me that's gonna take the crazy backflip jump step whatever and if i'm not that funny on tv i have a member that's gonna go on tv and then as a group it reduces the risk Mm -hmm. um of of somebody not being able to perform well um so for me i think for a long time i had tried to pursue or I wanted to pursue this place where I could follow all these big groups. So for mm. a few years, I literally did, and I would say this openly, I was like, I'm exhausted because, well, you have five people to split up radio, TV, acting, hosting, whatever. I have to do all those on my own and then think of putting together an album. Yeah. So I had years of doing that where... I got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore because I physically am going to just burn out. Mm. So I think naturally I got to a place where Eric, like, first of all, take care of your health. Second, it's just I'm not geared to be an idol in that sense. Um, So what can I control? What can I focus on? What can I be good at and exceptional at on my own? And that would be creating music that was distinct to who I am. So that's where I go in and I just kind of do whatever I want and I have fun with it. It's even within that, 
there's a lot of back and forth push and pull with the label in terms of is this too American? Is this too Western? Is this too mm. Eric Nam? Um, we need more ballads because those are proven to have performed better um, in Korea in general. But for me, on the flip side, that's the only way that I know to be different and to stand out musically. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of always been been the fight. But now I'm at a point where like that's like the one thing that I really, really enjoy and I love and I feel like I can do and express myself in whatever creative experimental way that I would like. And that's that's kind of the fun part. Yeah. So I, I whenever we talk, we always sort of like compare our um, workaholism, if you want. And we always talk about like <laughs> all the things that we have going on. And I know that like so often the media, especially over here in the States, it's like, oh, you know, K-pop just sort of like rides their artists until like the wheels fall off and like they don't take uh -huh. care of their art. And like everyone's like exhausted and like can't make it through. Do you think that that is like, sort of fair and accurate or do you feel like well isn't the whole music industry no matter the genre kind of like that like that or do you think k-pop is really sort of pushing artists to their limit i think if you're in entertainment you are by definition a workaholic we work insane hours not only just in terms of duration but just mm -hmm. like wake up call times whatever it's just the way it is yeah um you know, it's just a trade of the job. I think in Korea, though, um, artists are pushed very hard. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's just not necessarily just like the labels that do it. It's just the system, the entertainment system. Um, because I think Korean entertainment, they try to be as efficient as possible which also leads to deep inefficiencies um <laughs> yeah. so so for example um there are daily music shows in korea every single day of the week there is a live music broadcast where we will go we will sing and perform for what three minutes um and that's it but in order to be on tv for those three minutes usually you know in time of covid it's changed a little bit um but we will be there sometimes at 6 or 7 a.m. to do a dry rehearsal. Then we'll come back at 1 p.m. for a camera rehearsal. And then we'll go on live at 5 or 6 p.m. So by the time wow. we're done, it's 7 or 8 p.m. So it's more than a 12-hour affair where oftentimes you may just be stuck there. Because they don't really let you know the schedule ahead of time either. They let you know the day of. You have to physically <sighs> get there and see what order you are. And so wow. it's kind of ingrained into this system where we don't want it to be that way, but the powers that be, aka at this point, in, in this regard, the TV network or that show, that's how they run their ship. So I'm sure like, even for my managers or anybody, they're like, we'd love for you to just be efficient with your time and whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm at a point where I've been in the industry for, for almost 10 years that I'm generally going to be at the later, later point and... I, I kind of try to show up a little bit later, but even then it's like, let's be there at eight just in case. And it's just really, it, it's that kind of cycle for a lot of these shows that make it really exhausting. But that's slowly starting to change. I think people are trying to, you know, be a little more considerate of people's times yeah. in that way. 
Um, but going back to just like the overall entertainment thing, like I think when I talk to a lot of Western media, they're like, K-pop is like cruel to their artists, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. I think there are cases where obviously there have been mismanaged cases, mm-hmm. cases where people have been mistreated. But I don't think, again, that is because it's K-pop. I think that's any industry, any job, you're going to have cases of, of yeah. neglect or abuse or whatever. Not justifying it, not saying it's okay, but that's just kind of the way it is. K-pop just happens to be such a visible piece of culture that it's easy and it's interesting for people to dive into it. Now, on the flip side, I think artists and trainees work really hard also because it is so competitive. It is unbelievably highly competitive. Becoming a K-pop singer up until maybe a year or two ago was the most desired job by young kids, the number one most desired job in the entire country. Right now, it's like YouTuber. Right. So every, which is, you know, a sign of the times, but every single kid in this nation wanted to become a singer or a dancer or an actor. So when you have that much competition, it's ingrained in the culture for people to be working above and beyond overtime to try to make it. And I think this is not also just in K pop. If you look at the education system here, it's really sad. Like kids will get up. I remember my cousin, he'd get up at 6 or 7 a.m., would not see him till past midnight, go to school. And then in Korea, in order to stay up ahead, you have to go to the academies. They're called hagwons. So as soon as school ends, you're going through different academies, be it dance or you know, extracurriculars. But a lot of them are literally sitting in academies getting supplemental work so that they can pass tests and try to outperform because everything in Korea and most of Asia, it's ranked. You know exactly who's number one, you know exactly who's number two, and that yeah. determines your future. So this hyper-competitive kind of uh, ranking system across the culture bleeds into K-pop as well. So wow. I get it. I understand why people think that. Um, and people have approached me so many times like, let's talk about the dark side of K-pop and the underbelly. I was like, yeah, like it's not pretty at times, but that's mm-hmm. because it's just, it's like any other job. Like people yeah. in Korea, I think there was a study a few years ago. I think Korea was the most uh, inefficient or underproductive when it came to like hours worked in comparison to output of OECD mm. nations. Um, mm. Because this also bleeds into the cultural thing of like, if your boss is at, at the office, anybody below you is not going to leave. People are just kind of sitting there. Like, yeah. it's just a very cultural thing. So all to say, it's a complicated thing, but I, I do think it's, it comes from a huge supply of people wanting to make it really, really big and working really hard and a demand for excellence when it comes to what people are putting out. Yeah, and I feel like knowing that so many people want to have what you have, like that... I feel like that has to be like a little bit stressful because it's like you you have to you would be I don't know I would say you would be lying if you didn't at least look over your shoulder every once in a while just to see like who's around and what's happening when you know everyone wants to have this dream that you are were mm-hmm. able to achieve and so I'm wondering like in K-pop like 
what do people do? Like, obviously not everyone's getting into a group. So like, what do people do when they, they go to these academies, they try to form these groups and it doesn't work out. They just go back and have like a regular life. Like, have they missed out on like going to college? Like what, what does that yeah. look like for people? You know, obviously I think it, I think it really varies mm. for everybody, but you know, I've seen people who have tried it for years and years and it just doesn't work out. And, they end up working at like a convenience store to get mm -hmm. by or um, some some people, if they're, you know, I think on the good side, they become like a vocal trainer because there's an entire new generation of people who yeah. want to become an idol, too. So a dance trainer or a vocal trainer or they become a backup dancer. Um, but it is tough. Like, I, I really don't know what a lot of people end up doing. Um, there are people around me where I kind of want to just be like, I, I love you as a friend. and as a brother, but I really want, I really think you should kind of put up your, what is it? Like your shoes or whatever you call it that <laughs> saying, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> hang uh, it up. <laughs> yeah. Hang it up. Just cause it's, it's like, I know, like I've been through it. It's so hard to get to this place. Like it still baffles me that I am in the position that I am in. Um, wow. And to see where certain people are, I'm like, dude, you have so much more to go. And it's just, it's just so hard. And then you yeah. ask yourself, like, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to, because if you make it great, like it's worth it. Like you're pursuing a dream, you're living the life, you're living the dream. But in the case you don't, I'm a very practical person in many ways. <laughs> if you don't, like, what are you going to do? Like, I've had yeah. so many of these conversations and it's, you know, but at the, at the end of the day, it's their choice. It's their decision. And I have to respect that. You know, I have to just be a friend and be like, okay, well, let me know if I can help, but good luck. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of the way it is. Yeah. So one of the things that I think I really, that really sort of draws me towards K-pop and really makes me have this huge appreciation for it is I just think that the not like how wide reaching the fan base is, but how sort of politically active they are in mm. a way that I think is so, it's so cool. Like just even seeing here when Trump had that, that um rally. And so like all these K-pop fans like bought tickets. So like the arena yeah. was like mostly empty and seeing that sort of like, kind of, I know for me, I was like, Oh, I didn't expect that any sort of like, genre of music to have their fans sort of kind of like mobilize in that way to really be politically yeah. active. And I'm wondering like, A, what do you think of that? B, has that kind of always been how K-pop fans are? And does that sort of inspire you in any way to like, maybe you want to be more vocal than you might've been, I don't know, like five years ago about certain mm -hmm. social issues? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it's incredible. I think it's mm -hmm. great. And I think it's, you know, I think K-pop has a very tight-knit community. Um, there are so many people who are into it, but it also feels, in many ways, very intimate. Um, mm -hmm. Because, I don't know, I, I think it's changed over the past few years, but like when I first got into it, it was like, if you're in K-pop, you are standing for like... It's like always the underdog. You're rooting for mm -hmm. the underdog. We've always been underdogs. And um, because of that, I think generally the people who are in K-pop 
are just good people. They're just like, they're not malicious. They're just like, I, we like what we like and this is what it is. And we're very proud of our artists. And that's been incredible to see. Um, and to see that grow has been really great. When it comes to the political activism, I don't know who started it, but I think it's amazing because K-pop fans in many ways run so many parts of the internet. And when mm. they come together and are able to use it for for what I think is a positive statement and change, it it really speaks volumes to how big we've gotten, but also just like the good that people can do when they kind of work together. Um, I think when it comes to myself personally, um, I've always been a very... I don't want to say vocal, but like I've always had my stances. Yeah. Um, and it's always been very taboo to speak on politics and social issues. But when I first started in Korea and, you know, even tracking back to like the earliest interviews that I did, it was like, why do you want to become a celebrity or a singer? And it was twofold. It was like, one, I love, I love music and I want to pursue a dream. Two is like, I want to get to a point where I can use my platform for social impact and good. Um, you know, at that point I was thinking just like on the ground humanitarian work and mm -hmm. it, it has, it is something that I've been very active with even till like a week ago I was doing stuff uh, with different organizations, but politically it's always been very tricky. Like it's always been a fine line and it's this current climate in which I'm trying to push the boundaries of my involvement in my activism and it's very interesting to see the different responses that i get from the internet oh do tell yeah it's it's like very weird so i don't know i have a question for you though like mm -hmm. because i'm not in the states right now and i maybe just be missing a lot of like the social posting and like the activism part what have you seen when it comes to public figures or celebrities making statements on politics these days? Is it taboo? Is it weird? Are people being shy? Like, what's going on? I mean, I feel like so many people are speaking out. The reception, I think, is varied. I, you know, there's certainly, I think, a fatigue with um, some people hearing celebs telling them to vote. They're kind of like, you're out of touch. You're rich. You like you're like COVID hasn't affected you. Like, I don't want your opinion. But I think it's also been good to sort of, you know, you have these organizations like, you know, Michelle Obama's like when we all vote dot org. You have these other groups that are really sort of speaking to young people and mm -hmm. trying to find ways to connect with them in a real way, because I think, yeah. you know, the two party system here is so deeply flawed. And I think a lot of people feel dis disillusioned by that. Um, yeah. so I think it, it it's a mix, but I think it is sort of, there's almost kind of this, at, this attitude that if you're not being outspoken politically, what are you doing? Because mm. there's so much at stake with this being an election year, um, yeah. with the number of COVID deaths, I think it's now over 200,000 currently it in is. the States. There's sort of this kind of like, you can't just like not get involved. Like you have to do right. something. Um, right. so it's kind of, I will say, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but it, it's really, it's good to know that people aren't just rolling over and lying down. Like no right. matter how sort of stressful things are and depressing things are, 
people are finding ways to show whether it's through, you know, early voting or, you know, protesting or getting involved in local elections and running in a way that they never they never decide before to run for a local office. So I think mm-hmm. that that's been inspiring. But yeah. there it's a, there's a lot of tension, like, especially when I go online. There's a <sighs> lot of just a lot of anger. Oh, man. Yeah. OK. All right. So, like, well, do you feel like people are sort of trying to follow your every word and looking to like engage in an argument or discussion? Like, what what is sort of the general feedback that you're getting right now? I'm very I I have been very vocal socially on mm-hmm. like voting and also just a lot of Asian Asian American issues um, with Black Lives Matter. Um, just here and there, just wherever I think is something that needs to be amplified, I have been very vocal. Um, I was kind of triggered a few weeks ago where I post, I don't even remember exactly what I posted. It was something kind of crazy, I'm sure. But then I just put a hashtag of of Biden-Harris 2020. Mm -hmm. And I was, A, fascinated because the number of bots and fake accounts has just started, like, replying and attacking i was like wow this is kind of nuts um and people who were just like saying useless things to the conversation just for the sake of saying something Mm -hmm. and then i read something and it was like we listen to you for your music not for your political views don't push Mm it and that got me really like mad and annoyed because I personally feel like this election is incredibly important because mm-hmm. if you're if you are voting for Trump but no if you are not voting for Biden like even if you abstain in voting if you do not vote if you do not vote for Biden I feel like you're personally voting against me as a person mm. my right to exist my right to be seen as anybody else for equality to be against discrimination racism, whatever it is, that's how it feels. It feels personal to me at this point. Yeah. Because so much of the political climate and what the current president has has furthered has felt like an attack on so many people. Yeah. Um, even with the coronavirus, like, I don't know if you saw this. I just posted this a few days ago. There was a resolution or something in the house and it was like we condemn anti-asian sentiment we condemn this and 164 republicans voted against it to which i say (laughs) first of all what like why is it hard to just say it is not okay for you to be a racist person and to like don't attack innocent asian people on the street like, why is that hard to say? But the yeah. fact that this has become a partisan issue and this has become split on party lines is infuriating to me. It is, it makes everything that we're working for as people who create culture, as Asian, as Asian Americans who have, you know, tried to make a name for themselves in, in representation and, and for everything that we do with K-pop, even all the the positive things that we've talked about with K-pop at the be- beginning of this conversation instantly feel negated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, thankfully that resolution got passed, but the fact that it was not like a almost unanimous, like, yes, we can get behind saying racism is bad drives me insane. Um, so going back to that point of when I posted that and they're like, don't push it. And we like you for your music, not for your political views. I'm like, I feel like my music and the person that I am are all one and the same. You can't choose to be like, I like you just because I like this one song, but I don't like everything else about you. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's very, very selfish. And like, that's not how how this world works, you know? Um, so that's that's kind of how I feel with it. It's It's very weird because I know that it's going to rub people the wrong way. Even me saying this, like, mm. it's people are going to say stick to the music, stick to, you know, singing and writing or whatever but i feel like so much of what's gone on the past four years has felt like a personal attack not just to me but to almost everybody who is not a white person in america yeah and i think that's what's heartbreaking and baffling to me and so so yeah and so, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where I think people, for some reason, I see this all the time with like black culture where they'll like the black music, they'll like, you know, mm-hmm. the athletes, they'll like all the, the cool vibe and the swag and the clothes, but like they don't want to acknowledge anything black that is has to deal with sort of the injustices of the world. I'm sure it's the same right. thing for the Asian community. And so it must be so frustrating on one hand to see, you know, all this representation happening with like Crazy Rich Asians, K-pop. And then on the other hand, it's like, oh, but you guys don't have my back when it comes to like some serious real life shit. Like that must be so infuriating. And so I'm wondering if like that maybe that's part of the reason why the the K-pop fan base is so strong is because you guys want to stick together because maybe you feel like in certain ways that like the rest of the world does not have your back. Do you think that that's makes sense or is, I don't know. You know, I, I, I would like to think so. I would like yeah. to think, and I would like to advocate for that. I think mm-hmm. a difficulty though, is that K-pop, not difficulty. One of the, the realities of K-pop and K-pop fandom is that it's so global. Mm-hmm. Like we have, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a big contingency of fans in North America, but also all around the world. You know, yeah. from Southeast Asia to to Africa to Europe, like every single Latin America, every single continent has such a huge K-pop fandom that it is hard to truly all come together around a singular cause. Yeah. The beauty of, I think, the K-pop fandom and, and also in what I thought was, orig- I think is still originally beautiful about America is that it is such a melting pot. Mm-hmm. It is people coming together in K-pop for really fun, entertaining, beautiful music and production, whereas America is supposed to be a melting pot of cultures and people and political and religious ideologies coming together and living together peacefully. You know, that is kind of what it's supposed to be. And um, so in that sense, like, it, it is a little, I don't know, I would love to see more of it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to to get people to be more active with it. Um, but it's something that I have thought about for a while. Where it's like, what 
would really mobilize people. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, it's like this is an this is an American problem. And so now what I'm trying to say is like, yes, this is an American issue. But the reality is that American politics and economy affects the world. Mm-hmm. It is the most influential <laughs> single nation in the entire world. The United States of America runs foreign policy and any singular decision affects the entire region and then world geopolitics. And so even if you're in some nation in Southeast Asia, this election will directly impact your country and the economics and everything about it, wherever you are in the world. And I think trying to express that and have people understand that has been a challenge and also something that I haven't really quite figured out how to do in a way that that is true to who I am. Well, before we get to audience questions, that was a great answer, by the way. This has been like such a wonderfully deep conversation and I love it. <laughs> um, so when I, I asked my, I hate saying my fans because that sounds like whatever, but people, my followers, my Instagram followers for questions, I got a you bunch of fans. <laughs> Thank you. I got a bunch of audience questions, but there was okay. one question multiple people asked around this subject. So I want to ask this first before we dive into individual questions. Okay. And one of the, the uh, comments that kept popping up about K-pop was sort of like the um, the sort of like cultural appropriation that happens with like some groups um, or some artists, uh, specifically when it comes to like black culture being, you mm-hmm. know, a huge influencer of their music. And so yeah. people wanted to know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, how do you feel about it? How do you think maybe the industry could sort of reconcile that yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Oh, this is a tricky one. Okay. Where I do don't want to get you so in I... trouble. So I'm going to preface this by saying that I don't know the right answers to this. Mm-hmm. I don't think I... I... I don't think I know the right answers and I don't want to speak for an entire industry. I can speak to what I have perceived and what I have kind of observed. Um, But again, I feel and and I preface this because I also know that people are going to run with this in ways and Mm. try to take things out of context because I think the Internet right now is just living and thriving off cancel culture for the sake Mm -hmm. of cancel culture. and the only reason that I was like, I will consider like talking about this is because it's with you, because I feel like, and I also, one thing that I've been kind of struggling with is, I think issues like this require dialogue and conversation. Mm-hmm. It requires me and people, other people to have conversations with people who come from a different background to say, well, what am I missing here? Mm-hmm. And how can I change my train of thought? Or how can I educate myself? But I think that process of education doesn't exist right now. And that's why people just are just quick to cancel. Um, And I've seen that happen to a lot of people where it's like, well, can you tell me about this? And it's like, how do you not know you're canceled? And so having prefaced that, going back to the original question, I think um, I had a conversation maybe a few months ago where somebody asked me like why were why were black people getting upset about k-pop using certain fashion styles or hairstyles or 
what is cultural appropriation or misappropriation, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And I, and I had to sit there and I was like, why am I getting this question? And I realized like, outside of America, even though American culture and black culture is so prevalent across the world, people don't have an understanding of American history or politics, right? Mm -hmm. They do not understand. And I personally also will never be fully able to understand the black experience, the African-American experience. Um, and even though it is so much discussed in, in culture and politics today, um, it just doesn't trickle down to or out of the United States yeah. because it, there are, that is not a political or socioeconomic reality that people in China, in Korea, Japan, and even Europe live with. Yeah. And so when I, when I, had this conversation what i realized is like when people are are taking or borrowing or appropriating whatever words you want to use bits and pieces of other cultures it comes from a place of like oh this is cool this is hip this is really trendy and we respect it and i had to like haphazardly to the best of my ability explain like why people can get upset about borrowing from another culture mm -hmm. They're like, oh, but like this is completely out of like, we just think it's so cool. Yeah. And we think it's like so hip and we really just want to emulate that. It was, I think that was where then I had to go into, okay, but this is why it can be an issue because there's a history of even like music, like so much of music started, like that we know today, popular pop music started and has its roots in black and African-American culture and experience from the 1800s, the 1900s, like the entire thing. And they just had no idea. Like yeah. even I have no real idea. I'm doing my best to educate myself, listen to podcasts and take bits and pieces from what I can kind of gather. But even like growing up, like I'm not, I'm not that old, but like in high school or in college, I feel like there could have been such a better process of educating about the past in terms mm -hmm. of like why we are where we are and how we got here. And so to some people, this can just sound like a big overall justification for what it is. I'm not trying to justify it. I'm not trying to qualify it. I think that's just the way that it currently is. There is a disconnect in terms of what is created and where it comes from. Mm -hmm. What I can say that I don't think any of it comes from a place of malice or or bad intention. It's just a this a big part of like not understanding. Like I don't like I've also thought to the point like okay, how do we resolve this? How do we go about like fixing or like ameliorating this situation? Like does every label need to have like a cultural expert that they bring in somewhere? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's it's also very weird. And I think K-pop is also at a point where originally K-pop was never really created for international consumption, yeah. right? K-pop means, pop is popular music. You mm -hmm. just add a K in front of it. It's Korean popular music. Yeah. And so that's, it was made for Korea. It was made for domestic consumption. It just happened to travel really, really well. And so from... Some people's perspective is like, oh, they just love what we do. We just kind of put stuff out and people love it. And I don't think people really fully understand the diversity and 
the cultural ramifications, positive or negative, that K-pop can have, any big power can have. So I think we're going through a moment of reconciliation. And I think having these types of discussions and having people kind of ask, like, what, like, why, how, how is this possible? Like, let's talk about it. This is a process of us getting to a point where less people from different cultures and backgrounds can feel better understood or accepted and represented in whatever music. Um, so going back to that conversation that I had, then they were like, oh, like, we get it. Like, I now understand it, having heard the long, almost educational diatribe I went on <laughs> on why it's not okay. They're like, oh, like, had no idea. I had no yeah. clue. I, I think, you know, as an American perspective, like, we are aware of the hundreds of years of slavery and just like the gross, you know, injustices and everything that um, has happened. But in Korea or in Asia, they just, they just don't, they just don't know. Like in Korea, Korea was enslaved and colonized by the Japanese till very recently. And that's why Japan and Korea still have really bad relationships. Like, you know, a big part of the issue with comfort women and um, the Japanese just kind of be like, reparations for what? You know, like we already dealt with that. Like that stuff is also, that's more pressing to Korean people because that is the reality here. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a chicken or the egg situation. I think, again, it's, it's these discussions that I think will hopefully push the envelope just a little bit more where we just keep kind of having these conversations. I think the one thing that I do want to say, though, is like not just this, not just this conversation in general, but I, I, I really want there to be want for there to be some sort of platform, some sort of safe place where people can have conversations. Mm hmm. And really learn and take away from other people's experiences and cultural backgrounds. I don't know why that doesn't really exist right now. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. Did I answer yeah. the question in some way? No, you did. I think people, you know, everyone is really passionate about the position that they have. And mm -hmm. they want, I think a lot of people want to be right. And I think it's just sort of mm -hmm. the way that social media has really sort of changed discourse. I think for mm -hmm. the worse in this regard is that there isn't sort of having a conversation and learning and then allowing the information to maybe change the way that you think positively. Um, it's sort of like, here's my position. I'm going to yell it at you. I'm going to be right. You're wrong. So as mm -hmm. a result, I think there is a lack of people learning because people aren't communicating yeah. with each other. Everyone's just shouting at each other. And, you know, I think when it comes to this issue of cultural appropriation, like I understand why I got so many questions about it because, you know, a, I'm a black person and B there's so many times where I'm like, Oh, this, this thing now, like, even like if you look at Billie Eilish where people are like, Oh, the way that she dresses, like, that's so cool. I'm like, literally every black R and B singer Aaliyah, mm -hmm. like all the girl groups like jade like blackstreet escape all of them dress like that and that wasn't yeah. considered cool they weren't getting you know 
f- clothes from Gucci gifted to them. So to me, I'm uh, whenever right. I see like this cultural appropriation conversation happening, I think at the end of the day, what I feel, and I don't, I don't speak for all black people. I just want to preface that. Mm. Um, but I do feel on a certain level that black people just want the sort of the recognition a right and b sort of the financial benefit that people who don't look like us but who sort of dip in and you know take the culture and they have that sort of success there or doors are open to them or they're more widely accepted and they can you know go about the world wearing baggy clothes like Billie eilish is never gonna get stopped She's a yeah. little white girl. Yeah. She's never going to be like followed in a store. But then a black person who dresses like that definitely will be. So I think right. there is that thing of like being pro- profiting off of black culture without sort of having right. that relationship to black culture right. in a way that feels reciprocal rather than just being taking rather than just taking from it. So right. I think, like you said, we got to keep having these conversations. And yeah. People have to be open to like, oh, like you said, oh, I didn't realize that that's what this meant by cultural appropriation when people said that to you. And like they learn something new. So hopefully they'll carry that forward. Yeah. You know, it's it's it is it's weird. Like, I feel like I'm playing a quasi ambassador (laughs) in Korea. And I'm like, I don't and I I always like, look, I don't even know all the answers either. But this is Mm -hmm. like to my best understanding, like what cultural appropriation appropriation is in the same way that if you know it, it's also i mean oh god i don't know if i want to get into this this is like so scary do oh it my god. do uh, it oh my god do it <laughs> oh lord okay how do we get into this without like the internet killing me <laughs> there was oh god no let's talk about this offline have a conversation and then talk about it later because okay. I there's so much that I need to unpack from it where okay. I was like literally watching from the sidelines being like, how is this happening? Yeah. Like where it's I, I like just I just don't even know. Like so many questions. All to say, <laughs> I feel like cult, like countries and cultures outside of the United States have a very, very complicated relationship when it comes to. Um, I'll say it this way. So much of what the world creates right now in terms of culture is directly influenced and impacted by what is created from America, mm-hmm. right? Like the movies, the music, whatever. Um, in America, we can have those conversations about preparation, about race relations. And even now, as we try to have these, rela- these discussions, it's it feels like talking to a wall even in america where this is created mm-hmm. and where this is the biggest issue and it should like we're still grappling how to deal with it now from an international perspective i think a lot of people just kind of see america as like this rich place of culture and content and like really cool gadgets and whatever um and that's what they take it for they take it for it they take it at face value you know there isn't a disclaimer explaining where this person or where this song comes from. Like, like Cardi B's song right now mm-hmm. is the biggest song, but nobody knows what it means. They have no idea <laughs> what it means. Like, yeah. in Korea, idols do not talk about like sex or anything, but they're literally 
dancing the entire thing on all their socials. And I'm like, you guys have no idea what this means. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just people don't read into it as much as um, they could or should. And so, again, not like defending it or justifying it, but I think it really just comes from a place of not knowing. And I think there are, are ways for us to kind of hopefully educate people and to, to provide cultural context in the way that even if it's just me or a few people who are around just to kind of have those conversations, but it's going to take time. I think this entire thing is, you know, just the reality that we have to live with. And if there are allies and there are people who are trying to better and better educate and better further the right moves then i think we'll get there at some point but i know i agree that right now that the world is kind of in a shit place and all of this is kind of mm -hmm. just everything just feels like it's blowing up so yeah. <laughs> well that was <sighs> good how do you feel do you feel like you were able to get through that okay I don't know. How did I do? Like, <laughs> did that make sense? It did. Like, I mean, it's a tough conversation to have because, like you said, it's, it's history. It's sort of there's just a lot of emotions and that are involved, and you know, I think that cultural appropriation is something that requires a lot of unpacking. It's not going to be solved yeah. with one conversation, yeah. but once someone knows what it is. Like once you know better, then you do better. And so I think that's like right. the biggest takeaway that I think for people who are listening to this, who are sort of maybe struggling with this or didn't realize it and they hear us talking about it, they're like, oh, that's what I was doing. Oh, my bad. I won't do that anymore. So like if that right. happens, then great. So you did great. Right. I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I just have uh, a few, a few audience questions. Um, yeah. People are very, very excited. Um, so I want to go through, um, okay. Let me start with this. Okay. This is from Stephanie who Stephanie put her age. <laughs> People didn't have to put their age. Okay. Stephanie from San Francisco. <laughs> Did they put their home address as well? <laughs> and social security number? No, I'm totally kidding. No, it's so cute. Um, so Stephanie from San Francisco writes, Asia and South Korea are pretty homogenous as a culture. And in my opinion, pretty behind on issues of diversity, whether gender, sexual orientation or race. Given the global movement that we've seen with George Floyd around racial equity, where do where do you see South Korea making progress or not on diversity issues? What where does um, oh, where do you see K-pop artists as playing a role in representing difference or diversity? Um. Gosh, these are some heavy questions today. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> let's say this. I, it's hard for me to say because ethnically, I'm in the majority here. It doesn't make, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense for me to make a fair and just statement on how things are going. I think it, I think they're, I think. I'm sure there are tons of issues of racism and um, inequality, not just in Korea, just across wherever mm -hmm. we go. I think this is something that the world 
people just struggle with everywhere because people are just scared of things and people that are other, right? Like, mm -hmm. and they just have a complete misunderstanding, a gross misunderstanding. I remember when I was in Latin America, people called me Ching Chong and kept calling uh, me Jackie Chan. Like, what? What was this? It's like 10 years ago. Oh 10, my God. Something like that. Like mid, um, it's a little oh. longer than that. No, yeah, a little longer. Maybe like 12, 15 years ago, something like that. But wow. it's just, it's just, they've never, again, these questions that we can have about race and race relations, I think are very important and they're special mm -hmm. because we're American. Mm -hmm. Because we have the opportunity and the privilege of living with people who come from such different backgrounds, who look so different and really influence our daily lives in positive ways. When it comes to places that are ethnically homogenous or places that don't have, that, you know, are just very... I guess in this case, in the, this question, Asian, like people will still stare at like <laughs> white people or black people. And the presence here for a lot of foreigners historically is that they're military. And, you know, even when I got here, if I was from America, the natural conversation was like, oh, you're American. That means you're, you're part of the American military base. We hate them because they cause all these issues in the military area. They like, there's always an assault or there's a rape or there is a sexual whatever, like stuff like that. And this is not having to do with race. This has to do with like country now, you know? So it's the other thing to consider is that for a lot of these Asian countries or around the world, they were colonized. They were taken over. They were occupied by quote unquote American or other forces. And so it's, not just a race issue, it's a historical socio issue that has so much to unpack. And I don't think that it's like a direct thing of like, oh, that person's black or white or Latino, so we don't like them. I think people have their prejudices and their biases from what they've learned or what they've experienced in, in, in the history of their countries. And that's the only context in which they know things. Again, not justifying any race, racial acts or anything because I, I've seen it and I, I feel horrible for it. And I, mm -hmm. I have, I'm the type that has to have a conversation about it usually, you know? Um, even recently there was, I don't know. I don't know if I was playing like a savior complex and I hope I wasn't, but I remember I was out one night. There was, there were three, I want to say African, there were two African women and a baby. They were in like traditional uh, garments from, uh, I don't know what nation. Obviously, I did not have a conversation with them, but they were trying to get a cab forever, mm -hmm. and all these cabs were stopping, and they would not stop for them. And so I had to stop a cab, pretend like I was getting in, open the door for them, and I felt really bad <laughs> that that ha I felt so like it just yeah. sucks, and I think it's just a general thing of like people. I don't know. It's just misunderstanding and just ignorance. And I think, again, when it comes to the role that K-pop can play, I think it's, again, hard because K-pop idols have not had that experience. They've yeah. probably, most of them have, to be very blunt, unless they've been on tour in the States and you were a fan in the front row and they happened to reach out and touch your hand, 
they've probably never met a Latino, Latinx, black person, whatever. Like, it's just the opportunity is not there. Yeah. And even if through the internet, it may feel like we all live together in one world, we physically live in such different places. So it's a very tricky place. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know what? Some of these questions, there's no like answer that's going to sum it all up because life is messy <laughs> and complicated. It is. Yeah. Um, okay. So, oh, this is interesting. Okay. So it's kind of like sort of touched on what we talked about earlier. This is from Melinda in Boston. Uh, Melinda mm -hmm. also put her age. <laughs> Do these people usually put their age? Uh, no, this is the first okay. episode where people are just like, this is my age. And I, I kind of love it. Um, okay. So Melinda writes, there's wide perceptions of K-pop being manufactured and trainees go through rigorous training periods before they can debut, 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 debut. <laughs> Debut. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever you whatever floats your boat. Um, and sometimes the general public believes the part about the inauthenticity. You got it. You're right there. You're so close. You just needed one more syllable. Yeah. <laughs> Should I start this question? Authenticity. Yeah, no, I think it sounds great the way it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm tired. You got me up late over here. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and sometimes the general public believes a part about the inauthenticity of it. So, do you think companies will begin to allow more freedom and autonomy for artists for artists to write their own music and chart their own paths? Um, I mean, I think it really depends on on is it a singer songwriter or is it an idol? You know, mm. when I think the general trend and the shift is to allow a lot of idol groups to write their stuff. Um, but also, you guys, it has to be good. Like that's, uh -huh. that's like the main point. Like, if it's a good song, if it's a great song, they're going to put it out. Like, they're going to put it out and they're going to back it. But if it's not at the caliber that it needs to be, then I, if I was a label, I would second guess it too. Like, I think end of the day, there are songwriters, producers who are seasoned professionals in it for a reason, um, because they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, I would not trust a non-medical person. Well, no, actually, this is a bad example, and that's not going to go there. Um, I was going to be like to, to do surgery on me, but I was like, this has nothing to do with music because music is completely subjective. Um, bad example. Um <laughs> But, you know, I think people will get there if 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 they can. Like, I look at groups like Seventeen. Um, they started really early, but one of the members, he is an incredibly talented songwriter. And so he's allowed to do it. BTS, they write a lot of their own stuff too. Monster X, they write a lot. So it's not like it's not there. I think the general media Western perception is that, like, everything is, like, industrialized as a factory. Mm -hmm. And... The only thing that I can say to that is like, you guys literally try imagining like trying to produce 13 boys, teenage boys who are hormonal as hell into being a singular unit. That singular unit is what provides 
the ability to choreograph and to dance and perform the way that K-pop does. If you say, oh, well, then like we don't want that, then you can go for your singer songwriters. Like you have the option to choose. But I think the other thing to realize from a label perspective is like these putting these teams together costs millions and millions and millions of dollars. And to just be able to say, oh, we're going to let him write even though he's never written a song in his life. And he's 14, so he doesn't have the life experiences to really put together a great, great lyrically strong song. I don't know. That in itself seems like almost a disservice to the kid who doesn't know what he's doing. Mm. That's how I feel. (laughs) Bam. Take that, Melinda. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Love you, Melinda. Um, okay, this one is uh also I think this is from the same Stephanie. Stephanie, you getting two questions this episode that I've never done that. <laughs> Stephanie That's... should be honored. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Stephanie's back and she writes, "What criteria do you use to choose which causes or issues to put your platform behind?" Like I know you have done some golden open stuff for Asian American movies. Um, but do you ever consider how controversial something might be as to how you choose where to place your advocacy? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, great question. I I definitely try to do as much research as I can and try to understand the ramifications of what my voice means um, to a cause. And... I think it's really case by case basis. I've literally had in this time period of coronavirus, like six different organizations reach out to be like, can you be our spokesperson? Can you do this? And I can. I think it's just a matter of, A, at one point, does it become like the dude's doing too much and he's just throwing his name on anything? Mm -hmm, Like that lessens impact. And second, it's like, which one of those causes really means a lot? I think, I also think like, it's great that there is a diversity in different organizations that are working for similar causes. So even with like children, there's, you know, there's like compassion or there's child fun or there's world vision, like so many different things. Like I, I try to be part of projects where and when it feels natural and I don't, I don't force it. Um, but then I, I don't know. I also kind of feel like there's so many issues in the world, like so many that, having my hand in a few that are kind of different but also meaningful to me are just are just great when it comes to like what is your most personal issue i I don't know i think obviously there's no issue that is more or less important i feel i feel like everything in terms of struggle and in terms of humanitarian aid is all relative to the people who are going through it it's all difficult for everybody who's going through a certain difficulty so yeah i don't know I don't know if I answered the question. <laughs> you gotta stop doing like this to yourself. You always get you an know answer why? and then you're like, I don't know. Because I like, I realize that as I answer things, I process them in my head. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, so I pretty much had like a fluent, fluid train of thought. And my, <laughs> I know my brain just bounces everywhere. So I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I hope I got my message across. I think you did. I mean, I think that that's important for anyone who wants to, who's listening and wants to get more into being an advocate and, you know, sort of getting behind causes. It's like you said, just choose the things like maybe two or three things that are really passionate that you just have a natural passion for 
And then just lean into that and then you'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Word. Well, Eric. Yeah. Time is up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, this has well, been so great. It has been fun. It has been it has been a journey. It has been a journey. It it, it was a heavy morning breakfast for me here in Korea. Yeah, sorry. But no, it's all good. Honestly, like I'm glad we were able to do this and thank you for inviting me. I think it's it's um I was very nervous because I just I just don't know with the internet. You just don't know mm-hmm. what people are going to do. But I think the stuff that we discussed today is important and it's through starting dialogue and conversations that we can further appreciate and understand other people's points of view. So I'm glad we did it. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Yes. Okay, babe. Eric is everything. He has such a soothing voice. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a that's a good voice to listen to. It's like a big cup of tea that you just keep sipping on. Does everything come back to tea to you? Oh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yep. What would you do if Yorkshire tea had never been invented? Yes. Oh my god, I would I'd have to s- switch to PG tips. I mean, they both taste like shit, if you want to be <laughs> honest. And I know that's Anything- controversial. The worst one is Twining's English breakfast tea. That shit <laughs> should not call itself English breakfast tea for a start. I thought it was Twining's. It's Twining's. Is it Twining? No, it's got to be Twining, surely. Because it's t- it's the word twin and then N-I-N-G-S. I always pronounce it Twining's. I mean, that makes, I mean, that sounds better than like, excuse me, can I have a cup of Twining's? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, there's some twins over there. They're twinning. (laughs) Okay, excuse me for being an uncouth American. Mm. I will work on it. Thank you. You're welcome. A pleasure. And as you guys know, we are not taking one motherfucking cent for many of these corporations out here. Okay? Amazon looking at you. Yeah, no Amazon, no to Ritz crackers. <laughs> what did Ritz crackers ever do to you? <laughs> They're delightful. I love a good Ritz cracker. No to Angel Soft toilet paper three ply. I don't think so. <laughs> Only one ply for this household. <laughs> <laughs> Life's not worth living unless you have no. a surprise when you wipe. <laughs> If it doesn't fall apart like a Chipotle burrito, (laughs) I don't want your toilet paper. (laughs) But I like to support black owned businesses, you guys. And so today is going to be the day that I'm going to throw it back to you. Sorry, I couldn't resist. You just said it. (laughs) By now, you should have somehow figured out what you got today. I don't. Okay, we don't need to carry on. Like it was just. It was just the one line. So maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, this is falling apart. Are you still listening? Are you you still on the toilet paper? (laughs) 
Okay. Bake Off, this is serious. Okay. No more jokes. None. Ever again on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, seriously, you guys, I want to support this Black-owned business. If you are looking at me now, look at this cute abstract sweater. It's from this uh, company called Souk and Sepia. Um, and they're so cute. It's like black. It's okay. So they're just like they're black owned. They make really cute clothes. Like anything from like casual to dressing up to accessories to motherfucking boots. Ooh, it's gonna be winter soon. I know we're all gonna be inside. No one's saying you can't wear boots inside. Yeah, wear boots inside. An Anki B. Why not? That's an ankle boot. Mm. But Anki B is cute. Anyway, Souk and Sepia is so good. I love them so much. You can follow them on Instagram. Link is in the description below. You go to their website, souksepia.com. Follow them on Instagram. It's S as in Sepia. Yes, it's S as in Souk and Sepia. No, S as in subpoena, O as in ovulation, U as in unicycle, K as in K-drama, like Korean dramas, A as in ampersand, mm. N as in nature, D as in divot. <laughs> Going golfing, I see. Okay, S as in supple, (laughs) E as in eclair, Mm. P as in prolific, I as in idiotic, (laughs) and A as in aviation. We, start, we need to stop coming up with themes to make this more difficult for you. You should do it off the theme of the episode next time. So, wait, so... Everything's K-pop related. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there we go. Credit time! <laughs> Host, Phoebe Lynn Robinson. Producers, Phoebe Lynn Robinson and British Bake Off. Editor, British Baker. Theme music, Gavin Turek. Interns, Sasha and Malia Obama. But they're not. But they could be. But they're not. Is the Better Business Bureau checking to see who... Are are you claiming them on your tax returns? (laughs) 